0: Hey everyone, it's Kristen, and this is another special episode week. Instead of a regular Genius Recipe tapes, we are going to be sharing a Counter Jam episode from Season 1, actually the final episode of Season 1 of Counter Jam. And it's, it's nice timing to check in with host Peter J. Kim because Season 2 of Counter Jam is already up and running. So hi, hi, Peter.
1: Hey, Kristen.
0: So before we get into Season 2... Can we just talk a little bit about this episode and what what you were hoping to achieve with both the the food and the music sides of it?
1: Oh, I was so excited about this episode because um, I lived in Cameroon in central West Central Africa for two and a half years and um, have just, uh, I mean, it was one of the formative experiences of my life. And so the food from Cameroon and that region have a really deep personal meaning for me and... Um, and the music from that region also and i honestly was just blown away when i sent uh invite to femi kuti to join the show that not only did he say yes but he said yes i want to bring my and i want to bring my son on as well um and <laughs> it was just a dream come true i mean honestly like coral knows <laughs> when i got that response i was just like ah i was so excited um, it's just it's just amazing and so um, and and I should say, having Ego Wodem on also was also amazing. I mean, Ego is, I think, one of the funniest people on Saturday Night Live right now. And so for this episode, we took a little bit of a different format where recognizing that Ego is coming from the Nigerian-American side of things and Femi and Made Kuti are coming from the Nigerian-Nigerian side of things, uh, I thought it'd be interesting to ping-pong between the two of them throughout the whole episode. to just kind of like get the mm-hmm. two sides of the coin of... Ego learning it all really from her mom and then Femi and and Femi Mm -hmm. and Made learning it in the sort of setting of Nigeria.
0: And there were just a lot of natural through lines of speaking about the same dishes sometimes too, which was really fascinating to hear from both sides.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's why I I really saw so many of the same dishes coming up. And so um, it, it just made total sense to try to weave those together.
0: Did you have any favorite moments from this episode? (laughs)
1: <laughs> so many favorite moments. I mean I have to say um with with Ego we had a really good laugh talking about Nigerian um religious music. Mm-hmm. Um and so we both kind of sang our, our, our favorite versions of those. And then um <laughs> with Femi and Made, it's just their their bond as father and son comes through so clearly on this episode. And on the one hand, they talk about each other musically and speak with such reverence for each other. And then my favorite part of the episode is actually at the end when I asked them, what would they eat if they had to eat one thing for the rest of their lives on a desert island? And they're on two separate desert islands. They don't have to like share with each other. And the, the bickering and jousting that ensues is unbelievable. And it's, it's, it's so funny. And I, I mean, when they were doing that, I had a perma-smile on my face and I was I couldn't stop laughing. And so it was just it's just so so perfect.
0: That was my favorite moment too, I have to say. Um I I was just cracking up in, in my kitchen <laughs> listening to this and because it's so refreshing, you never hear a familial argument on a podcast, really. Like people don't let their guard down that much often. So um I really appreciated that. And and even the you started the episode with also another kind of like startling moment too um when the the generator wasn't working
1: oh yeah I mean there was a there was like a good 20 minutes and we thought we just have to reschedule this because we couldn't (laughs) we couldn't just couldn't connect because uh power in Nigeria can be kind of uh you know off and on and then they were in the middle of a big storm and so it was all uh kind of tricky but but ended up working out thankfully
0: Amazing. You are having such incredible conversations. I, I love that we get to experience them through you. Um, so thank you for that. And I was wondering if you could give us a little peek into season two. At, at the time that this will be airing, you will have gotten through a couple episodes already. So we'll already know, but I don't actually know what's coming in season two. And um, so maybe just share a little bit about what you know so far about season two.
1: Yeah, well, I'm excited about season two. Uh, we'll be Uh, venturing into actually different musical styles. So uh, season one was very uh, sort of um, heavy on R&B and and hip hop. And I think season two, we're going to see some pretty diverse music, which I'm excited about. Um, And then we have amazing guests. So for uh, the episode, looking at uh, Jewish American food culture, uh, we have uh, Eitan Bernath, who is just like massive TikTok star. I don't know how many millions of followers he has. And he's 18 years old, and yet, I mean, he is just so thoughtful and so smart um, and, you know, great guest. And then we also have Ilana Glazer, who is, you know, hard for me not to be a total fanboy over. I've watched every episode of Broad City, I don't know how many times. And so, um, you know, they both bring such an interesting perspective to uh, what it means to be Jewish and the kind of food that you grow up eating.
0: Nice. Well, I can stop um, grilling you for spoilers about season two and we can go listen to this episode. But uh, I just want to thank you for taking part in in the Genius Recipe tapes and sharing more about these episodes that I have listened to multiple times. And and I can't wait for more episodes.
1: What is going on? I am Peter J. Kim, and this is Counter Jam on the Food 52 Podcast Network, where we celebrate culture through food and music. Oh, take a second and soak in this groove. That, my friends, is the sound of Afrobeat, a style of music pioneered by the late, great Felakuti of Nigeria. And yes, we're talking Nigerian food culture this time around. Fufu, Moimoi, Dodo, and so many other delicious things with comedian Ego Wodem of Saturday Night Live. And not one, but two of the standard bearers of Fela Kuti's musical legacy. Fela's son Femi Kuti and Femi's son Made Kuti. This is going to be an intergenerational, intercontinental breakdown of one of Africa's most diverse food cultures. But first, here is one hell of a funky song from Legacy Plus a double album that Femi and Made released jointly. This song is on Femi's half and true to the Kuti family legacy, it calls on people to hold their government officials accountable. Here's Na Big Manism Spoiled Government by Femi Kuti.
2: part of government uh, and the citizens with the people give government officials empowerment when government officials start to think that better pass with the citizens uh, big manism don't enter the equation government don't start to lose their common sense big manism when government
1: that was Napigmanism Spoil Government by Femi Kuti, the first of three tracks that we'll be spinning today from Femi Kuti and Madi Kuti's double album, Legacy Plus. I want to lead off with a very important note. We'll be talking about Nigeria in this episode, but let's remember that Nigeria as a political entity is artifice. As is the case with so many other African nations, its borders were not decided by its inhabitants. They were dictated by colonial powers, in this case, British colonizers. So, I'm going to use the term Nigerian food in this episode but I want to make clear that when I say Nigeria, I'm talking about an area that comprises a rich tapestry of cultures that spans over 200 million people who speak more than 500 languages. Okay, with that said, I love Nigerian food. It closely resembles the kind of food I ate for nearly two and a half years as a Peace Corps volunteer in Cameroon. I was 23 years old, living in a beautiful village called Bankim near the border with Nigeria. It was, as they'd say in Cameroon, in the bush. I had no running water or electricity, and there were no paved roads. During my time there, I started a program called L'Art de Vivre that paired art classes with public health education. Over time, I developed close friendships and became accepted in the community. I spoke a couple of the local languages. I knew how to swig palm wine, pound fufu, fish, tend to crops, and do all the sorts of things that are at the heart of Cameroonian village life. So, you'll note throughout this episode that I have a major soft spot for Nigerian food, and, well, it's because it reminds me so much of my time in Cameroon. In this episode, we're going to see Nigerian food culture from two perspectives. On the one hand, we'll hear from comedian Ego Wodem, a Nigerian-American born and raised in Baltimore, Maryland. On the other hand, we'll hear from father and son Femi and Made Kuti, both born and raised in Nigeria. When I spoke to Femi and Madi, they were at their home just outside of Lagos, and the conversation got off to a bit of a rocky start. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Femi, Madi, I don't know if you can hear me, but we have lost you. And so if you can hear me, we'll need you to rejoin.
3: Oh, sorry about that. The, we have no electricity, so we have to put on the gen. So before this started, I told them to put on the gen in case the electricity goes off. So what happened was the generator broke down. So we had to put on the spare gen. <laughs> so, it's, so it's, I mean, we live in a very hectic environment. You need two, three generators because of the electricity, which goes off on, off, on, off. Ah, Nigeria is crazy. We have to go through this every day.
1: Oh, thankfully, we sorted things out. We started talking about a dish called jollof rice, which is as close to a national dish as Nigeria has. Here's how Madi explained it.
4: It's rice made with stew with the rice. <laughs> and the stew made to be part of the rice and it's, yeah, it's, it's, well, it's it's the best kind of rice there is. (laughs) And, you know, it's, there's this whole argument going on with who has the best jollof rice, Nigeria or Ghana or Cameroon or this place. And it, it really, it's, it's a pointless argument because it really depends on the cook. (laughs) You have had bad Nigerian jollof, you know, fantastic Nigerian jollof. So, yeah, it's, and you have the choice of rice. It doesn't matter what type of rice you use. I prefer basanati rice.
3: Basically, jollof rice, you put you put as much ingredients as... Sometimes we might even have egg in the jollof rice. You might have uh, corned beef in the jollof rice. So, but you have to be an expert at how you mix it. So you don't put too much of anything. So it's how you blend all those ingredients and mix them all together in the, with the rice.
1: I spoke with Ego, who thankfully did not need to fire up two backup generators to make the interview happen. And it's safe to say she shared Made's love for Joloff.
5: When we kind of went into this lockdown, I was making jollof rice with regularity. Um, but then that also starts to do a number on you. So I stopped because and, and then it was like I'm making a big pot. I only know how to make a big pot of it. Right. But I live alone. I'm a single woman. And so I have this big pot of uh, jollof rice. But here, and you would say like, oh, it'll last you yeah. days and days. But it would be so good that I would eat probably three to four bowls in one sitting. And then uh, that's not healthy. So I was like, this is not sustainable. I have to stop doing this. And then there was, right before I like tapered off and making jollof rice regularly, it was like, it's so good. I want it to myself. So, but then I was like, you know what? This is not a way to live. So I started offering it to friends. But I can't make Nigerian food the way my mom does. So then I just kind of sit it out.
1: As someone who's eaten his fair share of jollof, I can attest it can be crazy good. Fabi shared the way jollof is done at the shrine the legendary music venue and restaurant in Lagos that he owns and performs in.
3: The best jollof rice are party jollof rice, weddings, where you go to all these big weddings. Like there's a, we, have a, we always have this New Year's party and the girl who cooks for the shrine, she has a restaurant in the shrine. Her uh, auntie used to be a great cook during my father's time, so she took over. She makes, ah, oh, her jollof rice is like killing. When you eat her jollof rice, there's no jollof rice better than her jollof rice I've ever tasted. She's an acute jollof rice party maker. You know, she can make for a thousand people. And it's, you know, some people make it and if you don't get there quickly, the next batch is not as nice. This is every section of the jollof rice is excellent.
1: (laughs) So it turns out that the battle of the best jollof rice isn't just fought over national borders. It's fought within families too. Femi's praise for the jollof rice at the shrine omitted a key detail. The jollof rice made by his partner, Antonia. Made picked up on this right away.
4: I have to cut some there because for the record, I just have to state that the best jollof rice I've tasted by anti-dapo
1: no
3: why so so you be you shop want shop to put me to business trouble business. yeah you see it's a big mother is a big fool because now he like, wants to put me in big trouble because he's <laughs> mentioning my partner still. if i don't tell you that our whole jollof rice is the best in this world of course i'm not going to sleep abby you see maddie you are an idiot really. peter what mother did just now is totally unfair and i and I am going to. I'm really angry and upset because he's taking two names. Because I did not mention them, they can kill me. Those two names. You see, Tonya now. Tonya makes jollof rice with love. You see, there's a big difference from party jollof rice. Tonya is not making for a thousand people. She's making for people she loves. So she's she makes that jollof rice with. Oh, these people I love. These people are my people. So there's no comparison. So don't, it's not what I was talking about. You, you are dead. You say after this, i go to kill you. <laughs> because now, I ah, can
1: you put me into trouble? Uh-oh. <laughs> well, this is not my intent. I don't want to sow any discord in the Kuti family, please. Oh boy, remind me to never again wade into a discussion of who makes the best jollof rice in a Nigerian family. Ego, walk me through her process of making jollof.
5: I can tell you how to make it. We're gonna sauté some onions and garlic and some vegetable oil, and then uh, take some tomato paste. And I like mine to be tomato heavy, so maybe I do a little more tomato paste.
0: Yeah.
5: Um, and you grind onions and tomatoes and like puree them. Um, you can put a protein if you'd like. I usually put like uh, the beef cubes that people use for stew um maggie cube in it oh and then maggie cubes oh my goodness you can't make it out without maggie cubes i don't think any old bullion cube was gonna work i have a i have a very strong stance on that i should say
1: oh hell
2: yeah
5: um it's got to be the maggie cube (laughs) yeah it's got to be the maggie cube uh i don't care what's in it but it's i I don't want to know
1: it's deliciousness is what's in it
5: yes exactly
1: (laughs) all right remember when i talked about how diverse nigeria was We'll zoom out to West Africa more broadly, and you have an even more diverse region. But this, I think, is one of the few foods that unites the entire region. Maggi cube. Little cube-shaped umami bombs wrapped in yellow and red foil that go into and onto everything. In stews, on meat sticks, in omelets, on fish, with vegetables. I honestly don't think you can cook West or Central African food without it. I would be remiss to not mention the predecessors to Maggie Cube, umami-rich ingredients such as iru, which is a fermented locust bean. But peep inside your typical West African pantry and you'll probably see Maggie Cube. I have to admit, I was a little starstruck while speaking with Femi. I mean, he and his family have shaped the musical culture of an entire region and the message behind his music and his father's music helped me at a young age formed the progressive political views that are intrinsic to who I am today. As awesome as his musical talents are, he made a claim about his culinary skills that I took, shall I say, with a grain of Maggie. I used to be a
3: great cook at one time. Everybody used to say my food was the best until they turned me into the house cook, so I protested, Oh, and they used to psyched me, oh, oh, Femi's food is so good, Femi's cooking is good. And I just realized I was cooking for years and I was like, what? Nobody else is doing the cooking in the house. So I said, no, carried my placard. I'm not cooking anymore. And slowly but surely I forgot how to cook.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Made, have you experienced your father's cooking? Never. <laughs> I've Once,
4: once in my life, he, the people that he cooked for, I was not part of that generation, unfortunately. So I've not tasted this so-called great cooking. But my dad made plantain for me one time when we, when we traveled, and it was very nice plantain.
3: Okay. Very yes. nice plantain. That plantain is not plantain. Plantain is not considered cooking, really. I mean, that's <laughs> just fried plantain. Anybody that can't do that is like frying an egg. That's not really cooking. Or
4: to eat a bad cooked plantain when the oil okay, is Okay, that's
3: true. <laughs> just, so. Some people will burn the <laughs> so Well, it's true. You have to be very technical. You have to know the duration uh, of the plantain. You have to, where to flip it, how to Yes, move okay,
1: it. It. it's true. That's true. <laughs> it's true, it's true. Well, Femi, I don't know, you know, if somebody came up to you and said, I'm a good saxophone player, I swear, and they don't even play for you, I don't know if you could really trust them. So if your own son hasn't really tried your cooking, I'm just wondering about what a good cook you actually are.
3: (laughs) You'll just have to go with the myth that I'm a good cook.
1: (laughs) We heard a little more about uh, Chef Femi's culinary feats.
3: During my cooking, I only cooked, um, my specialty was um, egusi soup.
4: So that is, that, is my, that is my childhood.
3: You can describe, do you know, um, do you know what is in egusi soup, Madi?
4: Yes, it's seeds. You know, you have seeds from like, um, like squash and melons that are dried up and then they, they're used as the ingredients to make the soup.
1: Ego had some feelings about egusi too.
5: That is my shit. Am I allowed to cuss on this podcast? <laughs> It, that is that's my shit. It's my jam. I love it. Goosey soup is my favorite, but I haven't had it in probably over a year because I don't know how to make it, and it's not going to be as good as my mom's if I try. So I just fall back.
1: Oh my god, I love me some goosey soup. I actually have a goosey in my kitchen right now, and I what? make it periodically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I hit up the African markets. <laughs> And okay. I'm making me some egusi soup. Ah, uh, you know if what? I can do it. ego. Come on now. I know.
5: I know. Hearing you say that, I'm just like, I'm I'm motivated, but also ashamed at the same time because I'm like, you know, I can do it. I could. <laughs> That's what you're setting out to do is shame me. <laughs> um, I, I, I. You know, what? I now I'm like, okay, girl, you need. It's one of my favorites, and I like to go extra on the egusi. Like when my mom would make it, I did have requests for like how much egusi she would use. I had it at a restaurant in L.A. last year, and I, I my first time eating at a Nigerian restaurant was last year.
1: That's crazy. Yeah. It's because <laughs> I,
5: I think my mom makes the best Nigerian food. So my mom will sometimes make rice and stew, um, yeah. which is sort of like jollof rice in that it's rice-based and there's tomato. The stew itself is tomato-based. Um, it's just not mixed. You mix it when you eat it, essentially. You top it with the stew. Um, right, but my mom will sometimes make stew with fish and I like have a hard no stew with fish thing. Um, but she'll still make it and is like, kind of like, fuck you. <laughs> Which good for her, It's honestly good for her. Um, but uh, she will make a stew with fish and like enjoys it. She really enjoys fresh fish. But like stockfish is something I grew up eating. I still enjoy crawfish, stockfish. Um, I didn't even know until I... You know, until I I moved out and went to college and I started to explore the world on my own, I just thought also crawfish was like a Nigerian thing. And I'm like, no, they eat it down in New Orleans, like uh, (laughs) the things I didn't know.
1: All right. This brings me to one of the other foods that I think unites not just West Africa, but almost all of Sub-Saharan Africa, which is remarkable given just how diverse the continent is. It's fufu. Well, I should say I know it as fufu since that's what we called it in Cameroon. In my research, I've come across over 70 names for it. It's called Futu in Cote d'Ivoire, Ugali in Uganda, Pap in South Africa, Walla Walla in South Sudan, and on and on. Whatever you call it, though, it's a ball of cooked starch eaten with the hands and used to sop up stews or sauces. Sometimes it's a porridge made of grain mixed with hot water. Sometimes it's a pounded starch such as plantains or yams. It's not particularly flavorful on its own, and it's not meant to be. It's a vehicle for sauce. I ate it pretty much every day while I lived in Cameroon, and I loved it. There is something so satisfying about the tactile sensation of manipulating a doughy ball and dunking it into sauce.
5: Growing up, a lot of fufu in my house. Um, I grew yes, lots of fufu.
1: I am a fufu head. Oh man!
5: Okay, so you need to go live in my family's home. <laughs> um, <laughs> they, they would happily sub you out for me because I. And by the a way, young uh, age, hey uh, mm-hmm.
1: Ego's mom, um, I love stew with fish. <laughs> so just saying putting that out there.
5: <laughs> you should absolutely go be her child because I don't like fufu, and I didn't since I haven't since I was a Uh-oh. child. I know, but every listen, my um my brothers love it. My sister loves it. My sister, when we lived together in L.A., she lo- she knows how to make okra soup, which is another soup that I absolutely love. And the okra draws and mm. like it just is. I'm making a hand motion, guys. You can't see, but yeah. like the okra draws. It's so so delicious, and it's like spinach and okra and like, oh my goodness, I want it. Oh, so, yeah. I um, mean, like West Africans don't
1: shy away from like this. The, the sticky okra like consistency. Not at it's like all. It's actually desired, yeah.
5: It's desired. And I didn't know that, like, so now as a full-blown adult having my own experiences in the world, going to eat with friends, I, m- meeting friends who are foodies as well, because I am very much one, and seeing them not enjoy okra, I'll be like, oh, I don't like okra. And I'm like, that's psychotic to me <laughs> because I think I it's so good and because I grew up on it. But then ironically, like, you know, I grew up eating, they were serving me fufu and they used to try to make me eat it and I never came around. Uh, but my sister loves it. My friend, my siblings, they would have friends come over who were American-born white people, American-born black people, and they would love it and they would request it from my mom. Like, can I have fufu? And I'd be like, I don't get it. I just don't get it. But I want to get it. I feel like my card is going to get revoked. But yeah.
1: Um, what kind of fufu did your family generally eat?
5: Um, So my mom, the way she would make it here she would use jiffy my mom used jiffy to make it here um but we i grew up calling it farina because they called it farina in my house but she used jiffy a lot growing up and then sometimes would use potato flakes instant potato flakes in hers um and because i don't like it i never cared to like learn much about it my aunt um they use some sort of wheat, my aunt and uncle, they use a wheat in one, but my mom doesn't like it made that way. Um, and then I've talked to her about, how could I forget? I haven't had this in forever. You're making me remember gari.
1: Oh man.
5: I love gari. Okay. So I used to love that growing up even as a snack. So you can you can use gari to eat soup the way you eat fufu, um, it's more grainy, if I remember correctly. Yeah. I truly haven't had this since I was a child, but now I'm remembering. It's so good.
1: Yeah. So can you explain just what gari is? Yeah,
5: gari is like also also starchy, but is that cassava?
1: yeah yeah it's cassava
5: um and and i'm asking i'm like you know more about <laughs> <laughs> i love how much more you know than i do i'm just like yeah my life it's a given um, i've you got your I don't mom ask any right questions. here
1: and we're just laughing our asses
5: <laughs> off, so, yeah. she's like i'm embarrassed of um uh, but uh yeah gary is like a starchy it's also kind of doughy the way they serve farina yeah. um but it's 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 far more grainy and or it's grainier and it it if anyone knows cassava, like I've been to Brazilian restaurants and they serve um, yucca root. I feel like it's almost in that same world. It is – is yucca root
1: cassava? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, cassava is a crazy life? root because okay. it has so many names. So you can call it manioc, you can call it uh, cassava, you can call it yucca. And it's so good. All this, okay. all, it's all the same stuff. And it's like, yeah, the, um, okay. it's a tuber. Okay.
5: So. This is meant to be an educational moment for there you me, go. right? There you <laughs> <go>. <laughs> I'm like, this entire podcast episode, I am simply learning. Um, because all these things were just a given to me growing up. I was like, I don't ask questions. This is what we eat. But um, that's how I would describe Gary. But how would you? Because I feel like you're going to do a better well, job Well,
1: no. I, so I think actually what you're talking about really is, I mean, so fufu is kind of like a family of things and it's like mm-hmm. essentially blobs of starch that you like dip into stews. And so, I mean, I think yeah. what, what you're telling me is there's a certain kind of fufu that you don't really like, but I think you actually do like fufu. Mm-hmm. It's just that maybe you don't like, maybe you just don't like the, the jiffy fufu.
5: Yes. We're unpacking this right now. I, this is important to me because I do like the, I do like gari
1: i realized at that point that ego and i just had a different understanding of what fufu was for her it's specifically made from jiffy in other words corn for me i think a fufu is comprising a larger family of starchy staples ego in my book you do like fufu just cassava fufu and you're still a card-carrying nigerian this episode of Counter Jam features three songs from Legacy Plus, which, as I noted, is a double album that was jointly released by Femi and Made. Here's what they had to say about it.
4: My dad and I were releasing two separate albums. We were planning to release two separate albums in 2020. And my dad came up with a brilliant idea of a duo release with a parent and child. And as far as research, it never happened before. So we thought it would be so monumental for me to come out in this moment
3: because I haven't
4: this is the first body of work I've ever produced and shared. We thought it should be inspirational to show the love we have between us.
3: The sound, the rhythms, it's all about love. I love Maddie's album so much, not because I'm his father, I tell him, this. so. Hearing you tell us your view brings total satisfaction to me.
1: I will say that listening to Legacy Plus, to me, feels akin to eating a plate of food that has had a lot of love put into it. It fills you up, but you keep coming back for more. Here's a song from Mare's half of Legacy Plus. He plays every instrument in the song. It's crazy. You'll hear that the Kuti Legacy is not only alive and well, it's being taken to new heights. Here's Free Your Mind by Mare Kuti.
4: Free your
2: mind, free your mind, free your mind, free your mind, free your mind and set your soul free. Free your mind, free your mind, free your mind, free your mind, free your mind mind and set.
1: up we're going to go through six key differences between nigerian culture and american culture on both the food and music fronts stay tuned Based on my conversations with Femi, Made, and Ego, I identified a few key ways that Nigerian culture differs from American culture. Number one Nigerians do not like bloody meat.
3: We don't like red meat. Our meat has to be really well cooked. Yeah, I I, I can't and and then when you even tell them in the restaurants they are like insulted. What? Why are you spoiling the meat? We are like, <laughs> no, I can't eat it. And then they sometimes get offended because they they don't like preparing their meat like that. We, I mean, sometimes we really we cook it, then fry it, and it's very it's still very soft, but it's really well, very well cooked meat.
4: Yeah. Yeah, I remember going out with one of my friends, a friend of mine, and she accidentally ordered like medium rare or the steak she ordered,
2: <laughs>
4: she, she felt challenged by it.
1: <laughs> what is this bloody meat? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like barbaric.
4: I mean, the first time I had it, I, I even thought new was an option. Was, was It seemed like total madness to me. You want the blood in the food. People do this.
1: Number two, Nigerian food is insanely spicy.
5: For all the people I told between the ages of like eight, to 21 that I did not like spicy food. It was because my mother's idea of spice, I realized is not that of the world's. (laughs) And her idea of spice, her idea of spice was like absolutely psychotic. (laughs) And just... I was, it, her food, it would just be all pepper. And also at that age too, I'm like, I don't think kids that age want spicy, but like all pepper, like to the, to the point where you're like, there is no dimension to this flavor, this dish anymore. It is all pepper. And so I would always tell people I didn't like spicy food. That is simply not true of me. Um, Peter, I've learned, I'm like, no, I think I went to a restaurant once and they asked me if it's spicy or mild. And I go, you know what? It's time I try spicy again in this lifetime. And I had it and I go, oh, well, this is fine. <laughs>
1: Number three, grocery shopping in a Nigerian village is a dynamic experience.
3: In the supermarket, you don't negotiate the prices. The price tags are right on on the whatever you're buying. In here, you, the buyer, must always ask for more. And the seller will always decrease. Yes. Negotiation goes all day with everybody. So, and of course, it's kind of very beautiful
1: this was a part of Cameroonian culture that was initially very hard for me to get used to because, you know, I'm very used to just like, you pay, there's a price, you pay the money, you get your thing. But over time I learned, you know, as you say, I went to the market. If you want to buy tomatoes, it's just like, uh, you want to charge me 200 for this? (laughs) You want me to starve? And then you get this, you go to this like whole theater. Right. And then you're like waving your arms and like, (laughs) how could you do this to me? Oh. And then, and then you, then you make the deal and you buy the, the the damn tomatoes Uh, and then afterwards you're like hugging and like laughing (laughs) because it's all just a it's like a it's a form of like social bonding too
2: yeah yeah so
1: so there's actually a funny story I I came back to the U.S. and there's a store called Radio Shack that actually I don't know if it really exists anymore but I I was going there to buy like a a part for my cell phone and um the I asked what the price of like a, a charger was and the guy gave me the price and I just stood there, and I, I sucked my teeth like this and just stood there waiting. Because it was a habit for me when somebody gave me a price to just make that sound and wait. Oh. And my friend came up to me and said, Peter, this is very awkward. Like, yeah. to, they gave you the price already. Like, nothing's going to change. Another
3: thing, another thing about the market is I think it's a way of communication as well because you go to the market and everybody's asking, how is your family, how is your child, blah, blah. So a a conversation starts while you are negotiating for whatever you're buying. So it's not, and then you become close, you become like friends because you you have a customer. So if this, where you're buying from treats you and whoever is not rude or very polite in this respect, it's not just about buying. People that go to the market find that joy as well of that conversation that goes on in the market.
1: That's right. And I feel like something is really lost, something is really lost in a country like the US where we're moving toward, we, you know, when you go to the supermarket here, there's machines where you just stand in front of the machine and it says, place your item on the scanner. And then you put- I hate those machines. You know, I, I guess it's convenient, <laughs> but at the end of the day, you know, if we keep doing this more and more and more, when are we ever going to be talking to each other and dealing with each other as, as human beings? And so I, I love the fact that the market really forced me to really get to know the people in my village. Yeah, then you
3: even know your na- you know the names, you know your name, you get acquainted in a way. Not too acquainted, but acquainted enough to trust each other. Number
1: four, cooking techniques in Nigeria are hands-on, literally.
5: I went to stay in the village, and the first night my mom told one of my cousins, okay, she's uh, hungry, could you make her something? And she went and made me rice and stew on like some sort of cast iron skillet over a fire, over firewood. It was perhaps the best rice and stew I've ever had in my life over firewood outside. And it was so good. My God.
1: And that takes like so much like attention to just like maintain Mm -hmm. the right Mm -hmm. level of flame. And then like cooking is just a whole, I mean like cooking in like a village setting in Cameroon or I imagine in Nigeria it's just, such a different, it's just such a different activity because, first of all, there's no cutting boards. So, like, mm-hmm. you're cutting all of your vegetables mm-hmm. in your hand directly over the pot, Yeah, you know? And then you have this fire you're actively managing, you know what I mean? It's a really mm-hmm. – it's a totally different mm-hmm. kind of experience. It's much more of, like, this organic kind of give and take with the food. Yeah, like you're really, like, sort of dancing with it rather yes. than, like, you know, in the U.S. where it just, like, goes on the stove top, you let it simmer, you know?
5: Yes. It, you know, that's um, – speaking of cutting in your hand – Do you know that I thought that was normal? So, I mean, I grew up here in the U.S., but I grew up with my mom cutting onions in her hand. I mean, we had cutting (laughs) boards. We had them for sure. And so up until truly like maybe three years ago, I was like, this is not um, necessary here in my kitchen where I could just use a (laughs) cutting board. It's not a necessary risk, but I just thought it was normal. And so I was cutting in my hand, and I think I was cooking with a friend once who was like, why are you doing that? And I was like, this is how my, I don't know.
2: This is how I know <laughs> to cook.
5: But I learned to cut plantain and cook plantain from my aunt, the the British one, um, cutting the plantain in my hand. And I still do to this day, Peter. I, I, love s- that. I, st- I still, I still, I, and so like the onions, I'm like, okay, we'll do it. over. We'll do it on a cutting board. Cause I now understand that that's maybe not necessary. But in my mind, like the part of making the plantain so good is you got to cut it in your hand. And so I just you cut it what? in my hand.
1: Ego, I'm going to tell you from the way I see it is that yeah. is your, a connection between you and Nigeria via your mom.
5: Yeah, I yeah. I mean,
1: because like, and it's amazing <laughs> that your mom still cuts things that way. Yep. I, I love that. I love it. I love it. I love it. Number five, when it comes to food, Nigerians go straight to the point.
3: Another thing I find is, the three course meal in Europe especially yeah You start with
1: dessert you no, start uh, with a
3: salad the uh, uh, and then after the course you have sweets we don't do that we go straight to the dish wow. and,
4: and we collapse after we the deal dish.
3: we deal with our business straight away that's right <laughs> so african people we are not ready we, no no we don't mess around what's salad and that salad i remember taking my banana on tour for the first time, and they bring all the salad. Everybody's like, what? What's all this? <laughs> and we're all like... Then the cooks get really upset because nobody's eating the
2: salad. Yes, <laughs> yes,
4: yes. There are two things I have to add to that. One, one is our necessity, our demand for sauce. So yes, yes. And they just gave us rice. How
3: can you bring rice with <laughs> sauce?
4: We were all lost. And the second thing is food portions. We eat really huge amounts.
3: No, because we have... Food. Everything is compounded in the one dish. dessert, the yeah. <laughs> dish, yeah, exactly. an appetizer. Everything, <laughs> one cost <consume>. view.
1: <laughs> and number six, at least in Ego's estimation, Nigerian singers could take it down a notch. The other bit of Nigerian pop culture that I was exposed to a lot, well, I don't know if I call this pop culture, was like super religious music. And so yeah. uh, some of the bush taxis in Cameroon, we'd list the, the drivers would just be blasting Nigerian, like religious, like music, and there was this one singer, but like she had a song that was like a hit while I was there, and it was called "Bouncing in the Lord." Oh <laughs> so I'm, like I'm going to do an impression of it. But it was like, okay, I am bouncing in the Lord, bouncing in the Lord, I am bouncing in the Lord. That bounce, is. Bounce, bounce, Bounce. And I remember Wait. being like jammed in these little taxis for like, oh, a seven hour ride and just listening to freaking bouncing in the bouncing Lord. In the Lord. <laughs> I'm and, like, okay, I am not I bouncing just, in shit right now. Can
5: I say that that just low key sounds like a hit? So I get it. But also for Nigerian culture, I, I don't know this song, but you did a wonderful impression of Nigerian singers, like, you know, traditional Nigerian singers who I feel all think they are sopranos when in fact perhaps they either are not (laughs) musically inclined real in reality or should maybe bring it down several notches and try out being an alto like i don't know but that is a thing very off key the pitch is all off like my my uncles and my mom my mom cannot sing my uncles but boy would they belt and they'd all be doing that high pitch and i'm like you know you can bring it down right and like kind of get into a comfortable zone Um, but one of my favorites as you're singing in that high pitch is (laughs) <laughs> from my mom's village this cassette tape i don't think i'd ever be able to find it online but i remember they used to play it on car rides and we wouldn't listen to exclusively nigerian music but like they would play it on car rides um and it would be uh <laughs> we're enlightening women from Ibo. we're enlightening women from ibo agrasa we're lighting women our motto is knowledge is power <laughs> <laughs>
1: If you've listened to previous episodes of this show, you know I love asking folks the question, if you were stuck on a desert island and you had to eat one dish for the rest of your days, what would it be?
5: I'm going to say, I'm going to say a goosey soup. I'm going to say a goosey soup. Yep. I, I love a goosey soup and I haven't had it in so long. I feel like if I ended up on an island tomorrow, I would for sure fuck with it for at least a year. (laughs) Because I haven't had it in so many years. I mean, I have not had a goosey soup in forever, so I would go with a goosey soup. My mom's a goosey soup.
1: Remember how sweet it was when Femi and Made talked about how they inspired each other to make the double album? Well, let's see how that sweetness held together when I asked them the same question about what they'd eat on a desert island.
3: You see, with African dish, you can just take as much as possible. So I'll take boiled jam... (laughs) Beans and plantain. Why are you laughing? You are so stupid. Doing no, it's
2: okay. <laughs> I, I would <will> take
4: um pounded <laughs> yam, a goosey that has turkey and chicken.
3: Ah, you can't take chicken and turkey together. That, that's not fair. No.
4: Why? He said one. He said the can put you can't take together. chicken. No,
3: chicken is a body, turkey is another body. You <laughs> yes. can't take two. You can right no, now. No, you can't do that. You can't do that. Guy you cannot turkey. take a you, cannot a cow? Well. you cannot take a cow and a goat to eat. No. He said yes, one. He I'm said, taking turkey. Right? Peter. I am not inserting. No, my you can't on take turkey and, chicken.
2: and
4: I'm being no, blessed. You can't to take have tu- You can't meal. take turkey. No, I think I'm allowed to pick up no, my, all my all no, every meal can't I eat. You either take turkey or you take chicken. You can't be. take
3: cow. You can't take cow, bull, you can't take okay, cow.
4: Okay, then you can't take platinum yam. Just pick platinum, yam.
3: No, 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 that's not true. Well, That's not true, because... Just yesterday you know, or two days ago, you ate chicken and meat together. Who, me? Yes, beef and no, chicken. No, that was where they cooked it. It was wrong. Doesn't mean it's right. But you ate you <laughs> chicken and meat. No, no. But I, when I look at it, when I see that kind of cooking, I'm just like, what? What is this? Why did they do this? You know, okay. it's like hearing... Um, it's like um, mixing bad a bad song together. Okay.
1: <laughs> Uh, I love how uh, 10 minutes ago, we were talking about father and son love, and here we are. <laughs> he wants to take,
4: what did you say? Pounderian? Pounderian, Egusi, Turkey, and plantain.
3: How does plantain fit into that combination? It doesn't matter about fitting, am I allowed? <laughs> okay, because I am a fanatic of plantain, and um, I can understand you. No, I can allow you, okay. I can let you take planting. Okay, I accept that combination. Thank but you. really, Thank you. it's, it's Thank not. You. It's because I I will have done the same thing.
4: Wait, can, can I take bali instead of just planting? Can I take bali?
3: No, if you take bali, you have to A, take groundnut. If you take bali, you have to take
4: bali and groundnut. Okay, I, my dish is complete do I go see, talkie, and groundnut. Okay,
3: do you know bali?
1: Can I make clear that you two are on separate islands? So it will be, they're, they're yes. not on the same <laughs> <Yes>. island. <laughs> so that's why I can have boli and, and So and we can't
3: go to meet, meet each other turkey. and share the food? No, yeah. we can't. <laughs> <laughs> His combination is very good because, <laughs> have you ever tasted of, you have never tasted boli Of course. This Love is it. like a very important delicacy in the afternoon. Just dip ah, in the granuts. You just, you open the plantain and put the granuts in the middle. It's like a sandwich.
1: Ah! It's lovely. Yes. there you have it. The humble plantain came in to save the day. To close out this episode, we're going to listen to a song from Femi's side of the album. It has an epic horn hook and a driving groove that makes me want to get on my feet. Here's As We Struggle Every Day by Femi Kuti. Good night. a wrap for season one of counter jam thank you all for tuning in we'll be back in a few weeks with season two so be sure to subscribe to get the update and if you have a moment please do leave a friendly review in apple podcasts thank you to our guests ego wodem and femi kuti and made kuti and i want to assure you all that no familial relationships were harmed during the taping of this episode shout out to femi and made for providing the music please check out and purchase the double album Legacy Plus. And shout out to Ego's mom. You can invite me over anytime for Farina and Fish Stew. Shout out to the Food 52 team and above all, Coral Lee, the brilliant master puppeteer who runs the show. I'm Peter J. Kim, and I'll catch you on the next season of Counter Jam.